0: I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Lauria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check.
1: I am Dr. Aaron Ugewin-McMorrow.
0: I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick et c'est le podcast du Gidicolo.
1: Hello, I'm Paul Cech, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy.
0: Sarah Thompson, welcome to the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for having me, Dr. Riley.
0: Ah, uh, you're one of the many practitioners I brought into this very special PRP fertility program, so that we can help to optimize a person's physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being, so that they can hopefully, hopefully conceive naturally. But if they go the IVF, IUI route, we also want to make sure that they're you know as well-nourished as possible, so that that twelve to fifteen thousand dollar investment on that end is worth their time, worth the investment. So, um, I don't think any program like this would be complete without somebody like you, who works in the functional medicine space. I've dabbled in this space, but you have done this for what, close to 20 years. Yeah. And uh you you have a book, which I'll let you introduce yourself. But a program like this wouldn't be, I think, complete without really getting into the nitty-gritty as to as to what is inside of your body in order for you to grow a baby. Like we need to make sure that all of those resources are there. So maybe first start by saying, what's your experience? Give the title of your book, which is an excellent read that everybody gets a copy of. They get a copy of that when they join the PRP program. Um, let's start there and then maybe we can go into what are some of the more important elements, um, that you're looking at as a, uh, a functional practitioner.
1: Well, as you said, I am a functional medicine practitioner who specializes in maternity care. Now, for many people, they don't understand or even know what functional medicine is. And I always like to start there and say functional medicine is kind of an adjunct certification off of a medical license. Anybody with medical training can go into functional medicine. This includes midwives, nurses, physicians, and my base education is in traditional Chinese medicine. So I started my practice, like I said, almost 20 years ago now, and in my practice, I always used nutrition, lifestyle, diet, all those things. And I always joke that traditional Chinese medicine was functional medicine before functional medicine was cool, because in traditional Chinese medicine, our goal was to connect the dots. We play detectives in a way. We differentiate the different symptomology to create a very detailed constitutional presentation. Functional medicine is just taking that same principle and applying it to conventional medicine theory.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So, I have written a book, like you said, and the title of my book is Functional Maternity Using Functional Medicine and Nutrition to Improve Pregnancy and Childbirth Outcomes. And that book was a little baby gestating in me for years before it became on paper. And it was something that through my practice and working with clients. When I was working with clients and we were looking working through fertility through postpartum care with acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine and diet and nutrition, it was kind of one of those things where we looked and we said, there's something missing here. Mm. Like, there's a little element in which we're making changes. We have really good success with traditional Chinese medicine and fertility outcomes. But the functional medicine piece was kind of that deeper understanding of how nutrition played into the biochemical processes, the physiology, how the hormones work how they are interconnected. And as I learned more about that over my years of practice, it was something that, as I talked to more people such as yourself, such as the midwives and other people, that not many people knew. And to me, that was a missing piece in maternity care. Mm. And years of kind of just dating the book, and and here it is.
0: So what are the most common things that you've, I don't know, sort of discovered is maybe not the right word, but in working with women through the lens of functional uh, medicine and nutrition, what are some of the big gaps that are really, really common that you're seeing that is probably not talked enough about in the fertility space?
1: Oh gosh, nutrition across the board is not talked about enough, nor is it understood well enough. We have really basic understandings of nutrition. I studied in nutrition in my undergraduate degrees and what I learned doesn't really even apply. I mean, the yeah. nutrition that we learn in in medical care and just conventional care is outdated, Right. nor does it go into the understanding of how these individual nutrients work at enzymatic levels and how they change the function of the body. So when we're talking about preconception and fertility, that applies to things like ovarian function. Yeah. Very rarely are we discussing how individual nutrients play into how that ovary works, how we're going to support that follicular development and create happy, healthy eggs that lead to yeah. happy, healthy conceptions and happy, healthy pregnancies.
0: Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I think it's I, it's it was kind of a softball question because I think most people who start to really ask the right questions, you realize that not only do doctors maybe not appropriately investigate the upstream cause, but even if they did, they wouldn't really know what to do with that information. So it's, it really is right. some extra training um, in order to put these pieces together. I'm going to be, I've been dabbling this in, in this for a while, but the Institute for Functional Medicine has been calling, I'm going to complete their training just to like shore up some of my skills. Is that where you got your experience or was it through a different uh, program?
1: Through a different program. I've done a couple of the IFM uh, courses. I got mine through Functional Medicine University because I got CEU courses for it, and it's the exact same teachers and, you know, the experts are all the same. Oh, gotcha. The big courses.
0: Gotcha.
1: So for me, that just made more sense. It's it's again, it's the same people talking about the same stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, in your in your book, you highlight a number of really key nutrients. Um, I I don't want to put you on the spot and say tell me everything yeah. about CoQ10 or whatever else, but what I what I will say is. I think that there was a real good reason that you pulled out certain supplements. Some some are actually talked about quite a bit right now. Magnesium being a big one, zinc,
1: choline,
0: vitamin D, vitamin vitamin E. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, Weston A Price had his his elusive X factor, vitamin K2. So there is a uh, quite a number of nutrients that perhaps are more beneficial than just reading labels might lead you to believe. Can you just talk about a couple of these nutrients that 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 perhaps sure. stood out to you uh, sufficiently that you wanted to put like a highlight box in your book about them?
1: Yeah. So when we're talking preconception zinc, zinc across the board, I would say zinc is probably one of the most important nutrients for healthy conception. Zinc is the catalyst of all of the enzymatic reactions that go into those initial, like, 10 days of embryonic development. Right, And we can link zinc deficiency alone to early miscarriage. Because if you don't have the zinc stored in the egg and the sperm when they come together, there's not enough zinc for that embryo to do what it needs to do yeah. to get to a point in which those trophoblast cells have embedded in the endometrium and, and we kind of keep going from there. So to me, zinc is one of the tops when I'm talking about preconception and looking at preconception health. And there's definitely lab values we use to assess zinc function over zinc serum levels. Because you can have adequate zinc serum levels or nutrient serum levels, but if it's not functioning at a cellular level, it doesn't matter.
0: Right, right. Let alone being absorbed and being able to be utilized. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All the things. Uh, The other one that I really highlight is vitamin D. There was a study in 2019 and it was done specifically on IVF transfer patients. And of the the cohort, only 16% had adequate vitamin D levels. That's not good.
0: How do we determine adequacy of levels? Because if we're looking at the general population, there's this therapeutic window. This is the right amount. But like yeah. what is the truth about those RDAs if you if you might, you know, riff about that. Oh yeah.
1: Well, RDAs are are wrong and I look at RDAs as minimums. That's the minimum you need yeah. to sustain function. Right. If you're deficient, you're not going to, you're not going to fix a deficiency by hitting RDA. Mm. You're just going to maintain a deficiency. So once you become at a deficient level, it takes a lot of work to get out of that. And it can take upwards of three to six months to fix any nutritional deficiency. Mm. So in that preconception phase, knowing that the nutritional reserves of the mother-to-be plays into not only her ability to conceive, but the health of her pregnancy, it becomes really important to use that preconception phase to build that reserve of nutrients. And there's Mm. studies after study that shows that preconception nutrition levels for certain things, vitamin D, iron, predisposes somebody to having specific complications later on down the line, because we see that the demand increases in pregnancy. If you look at things like good Lord vitamin D levels, we'll see that you need a minimum of four thousand IU in pregnancy to mm. just maintain other nutrients. You know, where there is a sixfold increase in vitamin A need in the third trimester. Mm. Well, only fifty percent of Americans actually hit the the R D A for vitamin A.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and, and then you couple that with information coming from their doctors that vitamin A is toxic in pregnancy. Right. Yes, high dose synthetic retinol is not Thank great you. for you. But if <laughs> you're eating, <laughs> if you're eating something that also has, li- you know, zinc and magnesium and selenium and molybdenum and and uh whatever, like like organ meats are like a really perfect vessel for quite a number of these micronutrients. There is no way you're going to become toxic from eating really well raised i'll say you know beef liver yes at least i haven't ever seen somebody eat so much liver that they're sick but if you're eating a pound of liver a day you're probably overdoing it just like with anything if you overly consume but yeah so it makes it very hard i think for people to navigate this they get their blood tested they said it's it's normal but you look at their diet and it's like you're normal for the american population but in pregnancy, this number is going to be maybe, like you said, five to six times perhaps what that RDA is. Yeah. And you need to not just be supplementing with that, that sort of supplement on the counter. There are ways to get this in the most bioavailable form, which is going to be from your food. So we can talk about that next. But anything else you wanted to add about these RDAs?
1: That a lot of the RDAs are not calibrated for pregnancy. And I use magnesium a lot as an example of that. Hmm. The RDA for magnesium in pregnancy is actually less than the RDA outside of pregnancy. And it's because there's no data to go off of. There's really no research into how much magnesium do we need in pregnancy. But once you learn the physiology of pregnancy and you understand the hormonal changes and the shifts that happen, specifically third trimester, you go, that's wrong. And we wonder why so many women in pregnancy are suffering from calf cramps, Charlie horses. Oh yeah, all these symptomology that we go—that's normal in pregnancy. But then you go, but it's also a sign and symptom of magnesium deficiency. And yeah. we look at that and go, well, maybe it's not normal. It's just common, and it's yeah. common because we don't understand because you haven't really looked into it the actual need for magnesium in pregnancy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So let's say that somebody goes to your clinic. Well, they're going to be enrolling in the PRP program. You're going to be somebody that they meet with. In fact, I think you're one of the first people that they meet with because I want them to make sure they have time to really start implementing some of your recommendations. One path here and something that actually sometimes irks me about functional medicine is, hey, here's your, I won't even name any companies, but here's your thousand dollars worth of labs and a beautiful printout. Here's what we recommend. And then there's a $5,000 bill of supplements at the end if somebody was a little bit turned off by that and they wanted to try to optimize their nutrition, maybe not even getting, going and getting labs. I mean, there is some argument that perhaps we're gonna be modifying your diet in a special way anyways, unless you're profoundly deficient, we need, you need to use supplements. But let's say, first off, let's just say somebody can't afford a bunch of supplements, right? And they would prefer to get it from Whole Foods because of whatever. Are there like a couple primary like, food sources that every pregnant person, or let's say anticipating pregnancy, fertility clients that, that they should just start eating right away.
1: Absolutely. And I joke, they're all babies themselves. So mm. the foods that help grow babies are babies themselves. Now the eggs, right? Eggs are one That's of my the easy favorite. That's <laughs> an easy one, right? What do, you, what, what do eggs do? They grow babies, right? right? They have right. everything you need to grow a baby, except for maybe the minerals in the shell. What are some other foods that we know have a lot of great pregnancy and conception supporting nutrients? Legumes. Right? Mm. Legumes are high folate. They are high nutrients, magnesium, zinc, all those sorts of things. But they are also babies themselves. They're baby plants. That's the egg mm. of a plant.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Right? Uh, I, I'm a big fan of microgreens and smaller greens because we have less oxalates in microgreens and more nutritional base. Mycob greens can have 40 times the amount of nutrients as their adult counterparts. Wow. And they're babies themselves, they're little baby plants. So when I'm looking at creating a nice little kind of basic diet for people, those are some of the things we focus on, right? I'm a big fan of fresh herbs because of the high antioxidant content. And we know that one of the biggest drivers of infertility, poor conception, pregnancy complications is going to be oxidative stress or inflammation. Mm. And microgreens, herbs, all those little kind of plants, those are going to be high antioxidant can help reduce some of that inflammation that can thus cause complications down the line. With our greens, I'm a big fan of blanching and cooking greens. And I'm a big fan of greens in the diet. Nuts and seeds would be another one. Again, what are nuts and seeds? They're kind of baby plants, right? They're, They're the eggs of a plant.
0: Did you see greens, greens or grains that you like to blanch?
1: Greens, like uh, greens. spinach. Greens,
0: okay. Got it, mm-hmm. got it, got it.
1: Yeah, I um, when I work with people, a part of what we're doing is teaching them nutrition skills. One of the biggest things I find across the board is confusion on nutrition. There's a lot of confusion out there. Yeah. And you've got a big push from the functional medicine world to go paleo, paleo, paleo. But what do we really know about paleo? We know nothing about the paleolithic diet. We think we do, but we don't. And a lot of paleolithic or paleo diet guidelines are remove grains, remove this, remove that. And sometimes that leaves people going, I don't know what to eat then. Or what do I add to yeah, that? Yeah. Number one. Number two, we also know that at least Neanderthals and cavemen did eat grains. We find wild barley, wild rice in caves. We find remnants of fermented grains in caves that date back to the ice age.
0: Right, but that's a far cry from the vast majority of grains that we're using on a daily basis here, yeah.
1: Exactly, and what we miss is preparation method, fermentation.
0: Yes, Fermentation
1: is key. So oftentimes when we're working with clients or when I'm working with clients, one of the goals is to teach them how to properly use their food. And part of that is teaching them things like, yes, Grains are, are are okay, as long as you prepare them correctly. And part of that is the fermentation process. Fermented grains are 100% a part of a nice, healthy preconception and pregnancy diet. Same thing with a lot of greens.
0: Yeah. So, so what about like our fatty fish, our organ meats, our bivalves? Yes. What about some of those foods? Because that's really where I, I like to harp on that stuff. Because people don't generally like eating oysters, mussels, and organ meats. But I no. get a lot of people eating that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about some of those more? And by the way, if you're eating the paleo diet and you're just eating filet mignon and bacon and broccoli all the time, you're missing out on most of the nutrition in in our natural world. I guarantee that if somebody killed a deer a million years ago, they're not just eating the backstrap. I bet they're (laughs) eating the liver, the kidneys, the heart, because it's so loaded with nutrition. That's the the real trophy. So if you could just spin on some of those foods as well.
1: Oh, that's exactly 100%. The most nutritious part of an animal isn't the meat itself. It's the organs. Yeah. And our ancestors knew that. Um, I really think it's cool if, again, I'm into cultural diet. Masamara, Africa. Women don't eat muscle meat. They are only eating organ meats because the organ meats are high nutrition. And if you look at cultures around the world that have traditional dietary patterns, you find that they reserve a lot of really nutritious food for women because women carry babies and we have to have good diets in the women who carry babies because we've to build a great society of healthy people and organ meat consumption is very common across the entire world among pregnant women Mm. and it's because these organs are highly nutrient dense and yes organ meats are a big part of the preconception and pregnancy diet and it's something we talk about a lot i talk about a lot is trying to get people to eat organ meat heart is really high in coq10 that's a fantastic. Is it really heart?
0: Sense. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: It's actually the most um, concentrated CoQ10 source is the heart muscle itself. And if you've never had heart, it's absolutely delicious. I like it better than a filet mignon. Um, it's the prize part of what both my husband and I hunt. And that is my kids love it. They look forward to it. And uh, it's if you haven't had it, you should definitely have beef heart. And, uh, yeah. and you'll probably really enjoy it. So we have these different organs that do contain, you know, again, liver, right? High amounts of vitamin A, high amounts of vitamin D, high amounts of zinc, red blood cells that we need. We're going to double red blood, blood cell volume in pregnancy and iron reserves, preconception predict risk of preeclampsia, anemia, and these things later on. (laughs) Reserving iron now is more important for preventing anemia and the associated complications than pumping you full of iron throughout pregnancy because iron absorption changes drastically throughout pregnancy and it's really difficult to fix so if we can get those reserves up and bring those ferritin levels up prior to pregnancy we're going to do a lot better
0: yeah yeah
1: right seafood is huge and it's something that in modern american diet we just don't do enough of shellfish seaweeds like you were saying the fatty fish all very important things and again a lot of people who go on the functional medicine pushed paleo diet neglect those foods. Sure. And we see that people who are on a Americanized paleo diet—maybe I should call it—that's low in seafood—they have a high rate of iodine deficiency.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, you'd think that that would be a thing of the past, but no,
1: but... it's not. Yeah. So here in here in the states, right, we have a high rate of hypothyroidism. The number one cause to, for here is is autoimmune based. The second most common cause is iodine deficiency. And Unbelievable. I'm I'm surprised and not surprised at the number of people I test who come up iodine deficient. And a lot of them think they're doing a good job with their diet because really, according to what we've been told, they are.
0: Yeah, yeah, right.
1: They're either removed legumes, which are going to be at one of our iodine sources, on top of not eating enough seafood. And that's, you know, it's an easy one to do. It's kind of like, you know, smoked oysters. Yeah. Smoked oysters or everybody can find them at most most stores, and they're actually pretty tasty.
0: Crown Prince, that's the brand, or the Patagonia Provisions. I think has probably the best bivalve in a can. It's it's like a, I think it's mussels, and it's mixed up with this beautiful herb blend and 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 extra virgin olive oil, and it's it's delicious. Just a couple cans per week, and you've probably met yeah. m- your nutritional needs greater than you had the prior thirty years. I mean, like that one week of eating mussels and oysters does. And actually it's so nutrition, it's no, so nutrient rich that it's hard to sometimes even finish the can because your body's like, oh, slow the train, buddy. Yeah. We got to sort these nutrients <laughs> out, you know, versus a right. bag of chips. You can just like haul those down, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep. And so true. And those are things like my kids go through those cans. They do that. They do sardines on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. yeah. One of their
1: favorite foods. So we do, we talk a lot about that. And again, everybody's diet and what we recommend is often going to be very different based off of several things. And that's the kind of the beauty, I think, of well-done functional medicine is not generic protocols, but taking into account the individual, right? We have the understanding of the physiology of preconception through pregnancy is the foundation. How we build the house on that foundation is determined by the individual who's presented in front of us. We take into account their genetics. What were they given at birth? Because- what happened to their mother or their grandmother or those sorts of things plays into their ability to conceive. Yeah. How was their early childhood diet and lifestyle? Because that also plays into a lot of their function and ability to conceive. What are their stress levels like? Do we have trauma we need to work through?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a huge part that nobody talks about is the trauma, underlying stress, long-term stress. If your body's in survival mode, it will choose survival over reproduction all day long.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: and then then, of course, their current nutrition and diet, right? So, we have to look at all of that to determine what is somebody's nutritional needs going to be because we look at RDA, like you were saying, and that doesn't take into account somebody's genetics, where they may upregulate the use of B12, and an RDA of B12 is never going to meet their nutritional needs. Right. And they need to actually double that because of the genetics that they were given. We yeah. look at other genetics, you know, people who are, who have things like hematomicrosis. on a generic prenatal, death, we're like, yes, lots of iron. You feed that iron preconception, but for them, that actually may be detrimental. It's too oxidative because their body increases iron absorption and doesn't have a regulatory mechanism to say, whoa, we've got too much iron. Let's slow it down.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So those are all things that we have to take into account with good functional medicine to create you know, as we call it in like a TCM, the constitutional base of what this person is so that we can make adequate and accurate recommendations that really make them function the best with what they've been given.
0: I really appreciated that when I read your book. and, And like I said before, I probably, it probably took me 48 hours to go front to back. I mean, I was about 30 pages in and I was like, I want to work with this woman. But the the reason was not because you did such a great job of writing the book, which was very well written. It was because I could tell that you were not doing this the way that, you know, a lot of people are like, they want to jump on the sexy functional medicine train. They order all the labs and it just becomes another prescriptive way of fixing a person's problem. Yeah. But your, your background in Chinese medicine, which is all about helping a person reharmonize with their surroundings, balancing these forces, you know, heat, co- what is it? Uh, but whatever, I, I I can't speak like a Chinese medicine dog, but but it's it's really a matter of balancing out the yin and yang and the hot and cold and the moist and dry around the body and the different organ systems. Apply the functional medicine principles on top of that, and you have a very, very potent, very customizable and personalizable approach to a person's health, which you know we all get in all of us healthcare practitioners, we get into this mode of find the diagnosis and treat it with the drug. Whether the drug is a supplement, it's an herb or whatever, falling into that prescriptive, strictly prescriptive uh, trap is no better than what our Western medical industrial complex has done. So taking a step back, putting the brakes on and really figuring out what is this person's story? Why are they here? Why are they struggling with fertility? What is it on a physical, again, physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual level that is really drawing them off of the path towards growing their family. That is critical. And I love that you take that that personalized approach because just loading yourself up with the most expensive vitamins in the world can't fix it if it's not just a physical problem, if there's all these other elements. Like you mentioned trauma, we've got a couple practitioners in PRP. They're going to focus just on that, but you're bringing that in as well. This is a transdisciplinary approach to fertility.
1: Yeah. And it's great. I love the combination of practitioners that you have put together for this program because it does, it's hitting all these different aspects that go into supporting the whole person. Yeah, Right. Of course, you know, on my end, I talk a lot about nutrition because I feel like, you know, like I tell a lot of my acupuncture patients with acupuncture, I can tell your body to do something, but if the nutrient that goes into making that enzyme work, isn't there, Right. We're not right. we're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> so we have to make sure that if we're asking the body to do something, that it has the the tools to do it. Right? One of my favorite quotes from ancient Chinese medical theory is first treat diet and lifestyle. If that doesn't work, then use herbs and acupuncture. And to me that always resonated. Like, yeah, that makes sense. You have to have They have to do their homework, right? We have to have the lifestyle and the diet in place. Otherwise, the herbs, the supplements, the acupuncture, all these other things, it's not going to work.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's like saying exercise is good, so go do exercise. But if you aren't fueling your body and recovering adequately and getting your sleep and everything dialed, you actually can break yourself down by forcing the body to do these things, which I think IVF is actually a pretty interesting uh, example of that, you know, like we got to get this dialed in. Even if you do the IVF route, you have yeah. to get all this down because your baby's going to be just fine. Your body is going to take a tremendous toll, Absolutely. leaching, being leached of all of its nutrients to support this growing fetus.
1: Yeah. I, one of the things I always say is, you know, we treat the mother to treat the baby because baby's going to, like you said, baby's going to take everything. Yeah. My, my belief is if we treat, the mother, baby's going to be fine. But if we just treat the baby, mom's going to suffer. Yeah. And I want to make healthy moms as much as I want to make a healthy babies. And one of my big approaches is to bring bringing the care of the mother back into the care of pregnancy. Because when we, we focus so much on pregnancy and, and prenatal care means the care of the baby. And the whole reason I made my book Functional Maternity and everybody asked, why didn't you make it like functional medicine for pregnancy or something like that? Because the idea is to treat the maternity side of things and make sure the maternal physiology is hugged in this process. Because mm. if we do that, not only do we create healthy babies, but we lead to this person who's going through a very big event in their life of spiritual, physical change on a much better path. Mm. Pregnancy is a trigger for so many chronic diseases in women because we focus so much on growing a healthy baby. We forgot about the person who's carrying that baby and we just wrecked their body. And we wonder why we see that subsequent pregnancies have more and more complications in them.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's like upgrading. It's like upgrading some part of your car, but the engine can't take that extra. I don't even, I don't know about cars, but you know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) It's like yeah. upgrading something on the car but like you have a bad axle or something. Like we have to get the vehicle working well. I I hate the car analogy, but it it functions for this, I suppose. Yeah, thank you for that. Sarah, you're an, an amazing attribute for this team. Um could you give everybody just like a little takeaway as to maybe something they can do right now if they're struggling with this journey, they're not yet ready yeah. to sign up for PRP? We hope yeah, that they will eventually come and let us take care of them. But you know, for right now, what's something to starting tomorrow that a couple on this path can maybe do yeah. a, a, through any lens, you know, to, sure. to optimize their chances?
1: I think the number one thing that, regardless of what they're doing, that they can start doing today: stress management. Stress management, to me, is one of the pillars of what I I work with people on, and it's it's a lot of homework because I can tell you to manage your stress but you have to do it anyways. It's it's up to you to do the work, right? To get yourself in a better place of management. And like I said before, survival is always going to be more important than reproduction. And if your body is in chronic fight or flight, or is feeling like it is in high anxiety or is inflamed, and we have a lot of inflammation involved, and that's a different type of stress, then yeah. it's going to choose survival over reproduction every time. And I find it interesting. I have, you know, probably a stack of cases that I've worked with over the years where we were, I was, I got a patient who was doing IVF and we literally did nothing but reduce stress and they got pregnant before the IVF transfer.
0: That's that, that is so I've seen that happen before. It's like, you guys are just, you're in some regards, it's like, you're, you're taking this too seriously. You need to just surrender to the process. And I actually find that when You know, when I was in residency, I remember people coming into the IVF clinic after years of trying and they suddenly told their whole story. And this doctor said, we're going to take care of this. Don't worry. And they like in one cycle, they just suddenly got pregnant after years of trying something about like energetically shifting the burden of that, of this, this task, this unforbidable or this forbidable sort of unforgiving task of growing our family. It just sounds so crazy when you say like that, but that's how it feels, Like, I've been there. A lot of people go through that. And then, as soon as they give, they take the weight off their shoulders and they go and have like a glass of wine and get cozy in bed and start making, making things move. Yeah. Suddenly they get pregnant. But it, but it's like you, you've, you've like over, you've like stressed yourself out of the opportunity in a way. And in some regards, that's the hardest thing is to take a step back and just relax. It's going to happen. Just got to relax. Yeah.
1: It's so true. It is probably the hardest step. Because a lot of people, they really want to, you know, feel like they're in control. And yeah. there's elements, and I always try to tell this too with my clients: there are things that we can control, and there are things that we cannot control. Yeah. And you know, as as people, our goal is to do the best we can, right? Yeah. And and to let go of what we don't have control of, because yeah, because if we try to hold on too hard, it's just it's going to be harder. Yeah. yeah. Mentally, physically, all of the above.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, Sarah. You're, uh, I'm so, I feel so, uh, so honored to have you in this program and to be in direct contact with you. Your book is amazing. Thank you. We'll tell people, you know, briefly about the PRP program, but before we do, um, tell everybody where they can go to find your book. Maybe say the title again and where they can find you online if they have any specific questions.
1: Absolutely. So the book again is Functional Maternity: Using Functional Medicine and Nutrition to Improve Pregnancy and Childbirth Outcomes. You can find me at my website. FunctionalMaternity.com. Social media, I am at functional.maternity. The book is on sale via my website, Amazon, um, and you can also order it directly through your favorite local bookstore. Oh, right on. Supporting local bookstores. If you just go in and ask them to order it, they can order it through an ISBN.
0: Right on. Well, thank you. We'll send, I, I hope people will go and check you out. And guys, Sarah's very, very warm. When, as soon as we met, it was like, hi, it's like we're just friends now. So if you have questions, please reach out to her directly. Yes. If you sign up, if you're interested in this PRP program, we're gonna be doing a lot of functional medicine testing and advanced liver detox. Um, We're doing Dutch, we're doing a stool analysis. You're getting a bunch of books and supplements and vitamins. You get access to my Czech um, natural fertility program through the Czech Institute. You're going to be inundated with things that you can do to take some control over this process while surrendering other elements um, to myself and the six other practitioners, one of whom is Sarah Thompson here. Dr. Thompson, thank you for coming. We'll send people your way. If you guys want to learn more about the PRP Fertility Program, it's at belovedholistics.com PRP, or just go to the website. It's pretty darn easy how to find it. There's a ton of information. There's a little intro video. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me, um, but you're going to be in good hands. So we hope to see you there on the journey. And again, Dr. Thompson, thank you so much for coming on and giving me some of your time.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dr. Riley. Thanks for having me.